All right. Good morning. How are y'all? Good. Good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, welcome to our second sermon series in the uh, Struggles sermon series, hashtag struggles. All right. Uh, every time I think of the sermon series name, I actually think of... Uh, was it Jimmy Fallon and Justin Timberlake when they did the little hashtag thing, you know? Which then makes me think of, cry me a river, all right? And so that song has been in my head all week, all right? Hashtag, that's the only time you're going to hear me sing on stage, all right? Some of you were like, hashtag, he was singing, all right? Uh, but if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to be starting off uh, today. We're going to be jumping around a little bit, so um, feel free to move around with me. But if you don't have a Bible, there should be some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, if you physically don't own a Bible, would you please take and keep that Bible? That's our gift to you. We want you to have the Word, be able to read it throughout the week. And so uh, please feel free to take that home. Um, you can also follow along on your smartphone if you wish. If you have the Version app underneath the tab section, Click on live, type in the well Austin. You'll be able to follow along that way. Uh, there are notes, uh, sermon uh, poll questions, stuff like that. Uh, you can also take this link and put it right into your browser and you'll be able to follow along in that way as well. Um, the link will be up there at some point. So, um, Okay. Um, we live in an age that is uh, flooded with the desire to be perceived in a certain way right? Like never before can we moderate who we are more so than what we can moderate the way that we are today, okay? So think about it in a lot of different ways. And I'm not necessarily saying that all of these things are bad, okay, what I'm about to name. Like some of these things could be good, they could be helpful, but it just shows how much we are able to change kind of who we are as a person, our perception. So there are pills that can make you skinny, right? There are pills that can make you stronger. There are actually pills that can make you gain weight, which I'm like, that's what food's for, right? Like food is good enough, but there are pills to be able to do that. Uh, there are pills to make you grow hair if you're losing it. I had a funny story of a friend who was on a football team who wanted more of a beard, okay? He was actually played for UT, and he didn't have a beard. He wanted to look more mature, so he started putting Rogaine on his face. Well, Rogaine has a banned substance by the NCAA, and so when they tested him, he was testing positive for this substance, and they were like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I've using Rogaine on my face to try to grow facial hair, right? Because he wanted to be perceived as being older or wiser or whatever it may have been in that way. Uh, you can change your hair hundreds of different colors, right? Uh, you can add a filter to all of your pictures. So back in the day, like when you had to take a yearbook photo, you know, you got one shot, right? And so you can only, if you messed up, if you blinked, if you smiled weird, you were that weird looking kid that people laughed at in the yearbooks, right? But now you can take hundreds, that hit people a little bit too hard. I saw somebody go, that was me, <laughs> right? Now you can take hundreds and hundreds of pictures, okay? There are more styles of clothes today than there's ever been before. Like, think about it. Back in the day, you pretty much had like two or three styles, rich, middle class, and poor, right? Now you can look emo or goth, or you can look hipster, which is essentially sophisticated poor, right? Or you can look business, or you can look uh, whatever you want to look like, right? Um, because people are so ruthless online, a lot of times the way we want to be perceived, we take a long time to think about the way we're going to comment on something, lest somebody make fun of us, right? 
unless you're that guy that purposely posts things to be controversial because that's how you want to be perceived as that guy, right? And so there are hundreds of ways, countless of examples of how we can begin to situate ourselves to be perceived a certain way by the people around us. And all of that is really us trying to display kind of who we are as a people. It's how we want to be seen and how we want to be known, okay? And we see that the goal within all of this is really for us to become the perfect person. Like that's what we're trying to do in all this. Now we may not say that when we post a comment on Facebook or when we take a skinny pill, right? But what we're trying to be is we're trying to fit into the mold of perfection, okay? Now I want you to hold on to that thought, the idea of perfection, and we're going to come back to it at the end of the sermon, but that's really what we're striving for oftentimes in trying to be perceived in a certain way. And wanting to look good in front of others isn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, if you look at Proverbs 22, verse 1, it'll be on the screen. Um, You don't have to feel, uh, you can stay in Genesis, but Proverbs 22, verse 1 says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. So having a good reputation is actually a godly thing. Solomon, the guy who wrote Proverbs, says this is a a, a wise thing to do. This is a a, a godly thing to do. You want to look good in front of people. Matter of fact, you want it more so than you want riches or, or, or gold or silver. You want to have a good name, okay? The problem is that we're not often thinking about our name, biblically speaking, but we're thinking about our perception, Okay, we're not thinking about our name, we're thinking about our perception. And there's a big difference between those two that's a thin line, but a line that's really hard for us to stay on both sides on. So we spend more time trying to make sure that we seem funny to the people that are around us or that we seem intelligent or that we seem a relative to society or that we seem a certain way. We spend more time thinking about the way that we are perceived over we do our character or our godliness or our overall personhood. We tend to think about how people perceive us. And what Proverbs is talking about is your name needs to be honored. Your name, the, the person who you are, your, your character is what's important. But oftentimes we just think about our perception, the way that people see us, okay? And the problem is I think that a lot of us in here don't even realize that we're doing it on a day-to-day, maybe even an hour-to-hour basis, right? And, and oftentimes that's a very scary thing when we don't realize something's going on, but yet Scripture points it out as being one of our problems, okay? We're going to struggle a lot. And so um, we're going to think about authenticity today. What does it look like to be a real person, right? In a selfie-centered and really a plastic world a lot of times, what does it look like to be real, okay? Because putting hashtag keeping it real at the end of your status is not keeping it real, okay? That's a very, that's not, has nothing to do with what we're talking about. We want to be real people, men and women that are full of character, okay? And so authenticity is what we're hitting on. So last week we looked at relationships and we started at creation and we showed that God is a relational God. And so from the beginning of creation, God has created us to be in relationship with him. And so because he wants us in relationship with him and with each other, because we are like God in that way, we're be created in the Imago Dei, uh, we've fallen, the gospel has redeemed us and given us the ability to have relationship. Well, the same is true with authenticity, which is why I want to start in Genesis. Okay, so Genesis chapter two, um, here's the creation account. All right, we're going to pick it up here in verse 21. Genesis two twenty-one. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. 
And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed." So the Lord creates man and woman, and we see this last phrase before we enter into Genesis chapter 3, which if you're familiar with scripture, you know as the fall. Like Genesis 3, we see the fall of man, but the last phrase that it gives us is, they were both naked and they were not ashamed, okay? Now, now this is more of a statement uh, than just like they were walking around without their clothes on and they were cool with it. Okay, that's not what this is saying. Like, hey, I don't have any clothes on. I'm great with that, right? Like, that's, that's not what this is trying to tell us, though that may have been the case. But it's a statement showing that they were authentic people, right? Like, they were unashamed about who they were created to be, about what they were like, about, about how they looked, about what their personalities were. They were created in the image of their maker, in the image of God, which is perfect. And so they were unashamed of that, right? Like, like they could walk around and feel no shame about who they are because of whose image they were created in. They were naked and not ashamed. But like we said last week, the story doesn't end in Genesis 2. as two chapters into the Bible. The rest of the story, we see this colossal disaster that we call the fall. And so Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree, which God commanded them not to eat. The serpent tricked them and said, you will be like God if you do this. Eve believed the lie, thinking that uh, uh, God was holding back from her or, or wasn't as good as what he said that he was, that there was something else to be had. So they ate of the fruit and then the fall happens. Okay, and let's pick it up. Genesis chapter three, verse seven. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Afraid to be who we are, afraid to be exposed. We try to cover ourselves up in that way. And so we lose authenticity and become somebody else. Okay, we have to ask why. Why was Adam afraid? Why was he hiding? Because oftentimes we do the same thing. So why is it that we hide? Why is it that we try to cover ourselves up? Maybe we want to seem cool in front of the right people. Maybe we want to seem, uh, uh, we want to draw relationship. And so we'll do what it takes to try to win other people's affections. Oftentimes that may even come in our relationship with the Lord, right? We, we front religiosity. So as to try to gain God's favor as if that's how you gain the favor of God. But we do the same thing that Adam and Eve did. We want people to praise who we are or we want to be accepted by God. But if we stop and we think about it long enough and we really begin to think about who we are, we realize that as a people, we are just like Adam and Eve, naked and ashamed. As a people, we are naked and we are ashamed. Now you may think, I don't feel like that. I'm not naked and I'm not ashamed, <laughs> okay? And, and I, I would contend with that, honestly. I would contend with that. Uh, it's against our fallen nature to be an authentic people. Like it's against our very flesh and who we are. It's against ourselves to be an authentic, a real person, both with God and with each other, okay? And so I wanna look at a biblical example, actually. Go to Psalm chapter 32, 
Um, and this is uh, David's life. While you're turning there or flipping there, uh, David was a king, okay, a godly king, but David committed adultery with Bathsheba, as many of you have known that story. Well, what oftentimes people forget is that David committed adultery and then for a year hid it. Like he didn't want to be authentic. He didn't want to be real about what he did. He hid his sin for a whole year. And Psalm chapter 32 is the account of him hiding his sin before God. Okay, so Psalm chapter 32, pick it up in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the uh, the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when he may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. So David says that when he was trying to hide or when he did not confess his sins to God, when he was slow to tell God what was going on, when he was just trying to save face, right? It felt like God's heavy hand was upon him. He said, it was burdensome to him. It was hard for him to even kind of exist as a person. He felt a ton of shame is what was going on. He was being inauthentic. He was afraid to be real before God about what was really going on in his heart and in his life. He thought if he just kind of swept it under the rug, then eventually everything would go away. But a year goes on and he's still feeling this kind of weight. And I'm sure he probably masked it. And I'm sure there were days where it didn't really expose itself as much. But I'm sure when he laid down at night and went to sleep and began to think about his life, these things kept coming up. He was trying to play this persona as if everything was all right, as if he had everything together. When in reality, this man just committed adultery, okay? He was already married and then uh, uh, slept with somebody else who was also married, then tried to trick uh, uh, him to say that, hey, go sleep with your wife and, 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 and you deserve this. You've been fighting a war. So uh, uh, Uzziah does not do that because he's a godly man, okay? And then so instead, David then has him killed, which is murder. Then he tries to cover up this, which is lying, right? And David just keeps, then he tries to keep silent, being a, a, a deceiver. So David runs through this list. His life was really falling apart, <laughs> Right? Like, like his life was kind of unraveling around him and he felt shame and didn't want to expose it and so he hid. And don't a lot of us do that same thing? Like in our sin, we don't want that to be exposed and so we'll try to hide it and act like everything is just very, very normal. Like I know, I know a lot of us, right? I, I know things that we struggle with and many of us struggle with different sins but it's so easy to mask it over, right? In fact, I don't know anybody who's struggling this much, Like as much as David is, I don't know anybody who's in that boat, okay? If you came in here today and you murdered somebody, committed adultery, you're hiding it, I would prefer not to grab coffee with you this week, okay? I'm a little bit afraid of you, all right? Like if you're just kind of trying to keep that under the rug, then uh, Bob is more available than I am this week, all right? Um, But like think about it, okay? I, I say that because David sinned so flagrantly, like most of us would not be comfortable sitting next to a person that we knew uh, took somebody's wife and, and had him murdered and then kind of hid her and, 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 and got her pregnant 
and most of us would not be comfortable with, with being around that person, right? Like you don't want them babysitting your daughter, okay? And David, the king, a man after God's own heart, uh, sins so flagrantly, so violently before the Lord and is hiding. He's being inauthentic. How much more do you think that we are tempted to do that then? If David, who scripture says is a man after God's own heart, David, Psalm 51 writer who confesses his sins before the Lord. David, who lays himself out before the Lord all the time. If David is hiding, how much more do you think us are tempted to be inauthentic before the Lord, to be hidden about who we truly are, about our sins, about things that are going on in our life? Are you less prone than David is? Are you less prone than David, one of the godliest men that existed, is? I, I don't think so. And so maybe we're not trying to cover up murder, and so we don't feel the weight of it like David did. But maybe we're trying to cover up other things, some things that we don't like about ourselves, the, the, the way that we act or the way that we look or, or, or our position in life or the car that we drive or, or our job or our, 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 our relational status, whether we're single or, or maybe we're married and we're not excited about it or whatever it may be, whether, whether big or small, whether a sin or just a a situation in life, it's very easy for us to hide who we truly are before each other and before the Lord. Now, I want you to ask yourself, why do you do this? Why do you do this? Okay, like I want you to actually ask yourself that. This isn't hypothetical. Why is it that you hide what's really going on in your life? Why are you tempted to be inauthentic? Okay, I don't know what it is in your life. The list of sins or a list of problems or maybe you just don't like the way that you laugh or I don't know what it is, but why is it that you're trying to hide great or even really small who you truly are? In fact, it's important that you grab something, okay, and think about it in your life. In fact, let's do this. This is weird. You aren't supposed to pray in the middle of your sermon, okay, but can we take a second and just pray? Would you pray with me real quick? Um, Holy Spirit, I pray that right now, you would begin to impress onto our hearts ways that we are inauthentic before you and before other people. Would you be good to us and help us to see ways that we are inauthentic, that we try to hide who we truly are? Would you remind us, even of this week, how we've done it, even of this morning, how we've done it? To remind us of ways that we try to hide behind a persona, Be good to us, God. Point out our sin so that we can come clean before you, Christ. Amen. Okay, so scripture gives us, I think, a very, very, very clear example as to why we do that. Okay, I think scripture lays it out very, very plainly. John chapter three, go ahead and flip there. Um, In John chapter three, um, uh, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and at the end, he gives this long dialogue here starting in verse 16. So John chapter three, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Now listen to this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that he may be clearly seen 
that his works have been carried out by God. Okay, I think that this lays out two different reasons why we are inauthentic. Number one, we don't believe in the truth of the gospel. And number two, we don't believe in the truth of scriptures. Okay, I think those are the two things that God highlights. We don't believe in the truth of the gospel, and we don't believe in the truth of scriptures. Therefore, we hide in darkness, as this text says, or in fakeness, or we put on a front or a persona or whatever adjective you want to implant there in John chapter 3. That's what we tend to do. We tend to be fake or, or dark. We tend to be naked and ashamed. Exact same thing right? We tend to be ashamed about who we really are, about what's really going on. And so rather than being exposed as weak, rather than being exposed as ugly and somebody who's able to be made fun of, rather than being exposed as being not really that funny, or even worse, rather than being exposed as sinful or as wicked or as rebellious, or rather than being exposed just as lame or irrelevant, we'll do what it takes. We'll try to be somebody. We'll put on a certain persona so that we won't be seen as those things. We hide behind these masks and play the persona about who we truly are, okay? And here's what I mean when I say we don't believe in the gospel, okay? Here's what I mean in that. What prevents you from being saved? Think about this. What is it that usually prevents you from being saved? The biggest thing that usually prevents people from coming into a relationship with God, from being saved from their sin, brought into relationship, is our pride, right? Our pride usually prevents us from coming to God. So you may think that you are too lost for the Lord to save, like you've done too many bad things or, or you've messed up too many times, and that's just an ironic form of pride. We usually think of pride on this side, but it's true over here too, right? Because what you're saying is, I'm too bad for God to save. Like my sins or my rebellion is stronger than God's graces. I am more wicked than God is good. And that's prideful to think that. To think that God is that small that he can't cover over our faults is actually an ironic form of pride. But it's true on the other end too right? Like we may think that we are too good for God. We don't really need God. We've got this on our own. Why should I submit to God when my life is okay, right? Or, or I don't, I, I'm just a good enough person. I'm just fine and content with being good. And usually pride, one way or the other, tends to prevent us from a true relationship with God, right? And, and I think that this is true uh, uh, in, in, in people receiving the gospel, but I think it's true even in Christians too, is that pride usually prevents us from really coming to God as an authentic person, right? Inauthenticity is a, 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 a sister, if you will, of pride, I think. You don't want to expose who you truly are, and so instead you hide in darkness or in fakeness. You, you don't want us as a congregation or the Lord himself to kind of know what's going on in your heart. And so in your pride, you go, I'm going to do this myself. I've got this. I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to clean myself. I'm not going to look at that again. I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to say this again. And we begin to try to do it all on our own. That's pride. And because we're afraid to be who we truly are, because we're afraid just to come to the Lord or to confess to each other, then we tend to hide in this pride, which is in darkness. And when you're in darkness, light can't expose it. And when light can't expose it, you can't be made more like Christ, okay? Um, this is kind of hard to explain in words. And so let me give you an example, an honest example. Um, in my own life. So a, a couple of months ago, so Micaiah turns two years old tomorrow, okay? Um, she hit her terrible twos long before tomorrow, okay? Um, so she uh, began to kind of throw fits and, and get all, you know, uh, 
I don't even know a good word for it, but she began to get all, whatever, fitty, okay, uh, whatever that word is, and um, it was really, really uh, uh, weird because when it first started happening, I felt like, you know what, when Micaiah throws temper tantrums, when she throws fits, when she freaks out on me, I'm going to be one of those dads that's full of grace, that's full of compassion, I'm going to grab her and go, Micaiah, it's okay. And I'm going to explain the love of the Father to her, okay? And that's what I begin to think. I'm going to look just like the Father and explain that to her. And so I tried to do that, and I grabbed her, and she was losing her mind, okay? And then she smacked me in the face very hard for like a one-and-a-half-year-old, okay? And then kicked me in a spot where guys don't normally want to be kicked in, okay? Now, how she did both of those kind of at the same time, I'm unsure, all right? But... I about lost my mind, okay? Um, I got so angry that I was like four seconds away. No, I was 0.4 seconds away from slinging her like 72 feet across the room, all right? Now, you can judge me if you want. Wait till you have kids and they do something like that, okay? But I was so angry, right, that it literally scared me. Okay, because I used to have anger problems. I actually used to be abusive. And so to my brothers, to past girlfriends, I I was physically abusive. And I had not felt that as a Christian until that moment. And I got really, really scared about who I was. Okay, two days later, three days later, maybe I'm meeting with my mentor, Bob Christensen, and we're meeting. And in my heart, the whole time, there was this thing replaying of don't tell Bob what happened. And I was really wrestling with telling Bob. Okay, I was about this close from actually not kind of confessing what was really going on. Now, why? Why was it that I was hesitant to kind of tell Bob what was going on? Why did I not want to tell him? Because I was afraid, okay, that he would look down on me as a person and begin to think lesser of me and who I was. Now, I know that's not true. Like when I stop and think about it, even when I say that, that sounds really silly. But that's what I began to think in my heart. And so I began to think that he would think things like, oh man, Tori's not as spiritual as I thought he was. (laughs) Tori's not as cool, not as good as I thought he was. And why was I afraid of these things? Because I want to be seen as a spiritual man. My persona The way that I carry myself, the way I want you to think of me is as a godly beast, right? Like that's what I think of, a beast for the Lord who's a godly man. And that's what I want Bob to think of me. And when that got tempted, when my sin got exposed, when my true heart began to come out with Micaiah, I was tempted to hide in darkness. I think we all do this in a lot of different ways, right? Maybe it's, once again, not as extreme of an example, but I think that that is our our natural tendency as fallen men and women. We tend to want to hide, and we do the same thing with the Lord that I did with Bob, and we do the same thing with each other, right? We tend to do that. We don't tell each other what's really going on. We don't want to truly be exposed. We only show everyone what they want to see in hopes to win their affection as if their affection is more important than the truth of the gospel, Right? And so we put on fig leaves and we hide behind a bush and we hope the Lord doesn't expose us as if he doesn't know we're hiding anyway. Like God didn't happen to just so randomly walk up to the perfect bush and go, Adam, Eve, where are you? Right? Like God knew where they were hiding. Okay? He is God. He sees all. God knows when we are hiding. He is God. He sees all. And so we hope that no one finds out about our struggle in our marriage And so when we come, we put together as if our marriage is great. Everything's okay. Everything is great. But in the home, we're really, really struggling. But for whatever reason, we don't want people to know that. 
And so we put on the persona as if things are going well. Or as if our, 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 our child rearing, as if growing our kids up, like we're totally great with that, when in reality we feel like our home's falling apart, right? Or we don't want to tell people that we keep struggling with pornography. And every single week we fall into it and we say, I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to do it again. But, but why don't we tell people what's really going on? Why don't we begin to expose what's really going on? Or, or maybe we don't tell people about our frustration with our relationships. We feel lonely or we're mad at being single or we really want this certain friendship or whatever it may be. And we tend to just, yeah, things are great. How are you? Right? And we live plastic in a plastic world trying to personify ourselves in who we truly are. Now, if we had time, we can go through every single man and woman in Scripture and look at all of those problems, and every single man and woman in Scripture would go, hey, I struggle with that too. Like, I, I feel you. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. I too struggle with that. I too am a habitual liar, Abraham. I too am an adulterer, David. I too am, 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 am a prideful person, somebody that's uh, all into myself. I too am whatever it may be, and person after person can identify with you. Right, But we don't believe in the truth of the gospel, and so we hide it in, and we don't allow the Lord to begin to change us. We wear a mask, right? This is inauthenticity. This is one of the problems. And so uh, we just don't trust in Christ. Now, here's what I mean in that we don't trust in the truths of Scripture. I just gave one example. We see all these men struggling, all these women struggling, yet we still try to hide. Let me give you another example. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to listen to this because this is an unbelievable promise here. This sentence in Ephesians chapter one, verses three through 14, in its original context was one sentence. Now, when I read it, you're gonna think that's a run-on sentence. And you're right, which is why in English we break it down, okay? But in the original Greek, this was a singular sentence. This is what it says. Ephesians chapter one, sorry, verse three. Chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved." In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished. I love that word. He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Hallelujah and amen. Okay? What do we get because of the gospel? What are some of the promises that scripture tells us? When we are real before God, when we come before him in authenticity, what are some of the things that we get by believing in Jesus? Well, look at what it says just in this one sentence. It says you get every spiritual blessing. Verse three, it says you become holy and blameless. It says that you are adopted as sons. 
to the praise of his glorious grace. You have redemption through blood, the forgiveness of sins. You understand the mystery of his will. You begin to understand the mind of God, 1 Corinthians 3 would even say. And you have an inheritance locked up for you forever, and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. This is in one one singular verse, look at the promises that we get because of the gospel. Scripture promises us that when we come to Christ, we receive these things. Who does not want these things? Like, don't you long for these things? Isn't this what your heart desires? Right, we want these things, but we don't believe that these are true. And so we tend to hide and try to create this on our own. We try to become holy on our own. Or we try to become blameless on our own. Or we try to produce our own works of righteousness or our own sanctification or whatever it may be. And so we don't believe in the truth of the gospel. We don't believe in the truth of scriptures. And so what should we do? Okay, if we are inauthentic people by nature, if we mess up and and we try to hide and, and we don't want to be real, like is being authentic even worth it? Like, is being true to who you truly are even worth it to to expose that before people? What's wrong with hiding forever? Okay? And if we know that there's something wrong with it, then what should we do? I want to give three really quick things. They're quick things, okay? Uh, You can dive into these deeper if you would like. But I think that these are the three things in Scripture that uh, uh, tells us how we are to be an authentic people, okay? Firstly, if you don't know Jesus, then being inauthentic can literally keep you from eternal life. Being inauthentic before the Lord can keep you from eternal life. It can prevent you from true freedom. It can prevent you from true joy. It can prevent you from Christ himself. Because like we already said, in our pride, we try to hide against that. Scripture makes clear that in order to come to Christ, you have to confess that you are a sinner in need of Jesus. You have to confess that you do feel naked, that you do feel shame, that you do feel like things are wrong, something's going on, I can't fix myself. And you have to come to Christ with that. You have to be authentic. Being inauthentic can literally keep us outside of a relationship with him. In Christ, we know we have the forgiveness of sins like we just read, the the washing away. In Christ, all of our burden and our shame and our guilt was hung up on him on the cross. That's what happens when we believe in Jesus. But we have to be honest before him first. And so you have to come to him. You have to, 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 to dive into the riches of his grace, to trust him for the forgiveness of our sins. So point one, being inauthentic can actually keep you from coming to know Jesus. So what should you do? Be authentic before Jesus. You'll see real quick that all three of these points are the exact same thing, okay? Just spoken of from a different camera lens, if you will. And so be authentic before Jesus. Secondly, if you already know Christ, if you have a relationship with him, if you say, I know I'm a Christian, I've trusted in Jesus for who he is, then you need to learn to be authentic with God. You need to learn to be authentic with God. You don't have to turn here. Okay, but we're going to look at a piece of passage real quick. It's Jeremiah chapter 20. A little bit of context, okay? God called Jeremiah and told Jeremiah, you are going to have a ministry that's hard. By hard, what the Lord meant was Jeremiah did ministry for 33 years. 33 years. Older than a lot of you in this room, right? 33 years and did not see a single person convert. 
He didn't see one person turn and trust in God, at least that we see in Scripture. Maybe there was one or two that we didn't see, but Scripture makes it pretty plain that nobody listened to Jeremiah. And so he's doing ministry for 33 years. Let me be honest with you. After two or three months in the well, if somebody doesn't get saved, I'm like, God, what are you doing, right? I start getting all anxious, and I'm like, I'll drop an elder if you want me to. I'll do whatever it takes, right? Like, I want to see people come and know Jesus. There are no elders in this room. Thank you, Lord. All right, I won't get in trouble for that one. Don't tell anybody. But no, seriously, right? Like, I began to think, okay, what's going on? Like, like God, what are you doing? 33 years of this, and he's getting ridiculed, persecuted, mocked. And so here's what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. He's talking to the Lord. He says, O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. Okay, now I want you to look. I want you to think about what Jeremiah is saying here for a second. The word deceive there in the Hebrew is a technical term, which means the seduction of a maiden by a man. The seduction of a maiden by a man. So Jeremiah says, you have deceived me or you have seduced me as if I was a maiden and you were a man. Here are a couple other examples in scripture. Judges 14, 15. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice, that's the same word, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? So they're saying entice him, seduce him, trick him, make him be intimate with you. Okay, Uh, Exodus 22, verse 16. If a man seduces, same word, a virgin who is not betrothed or engaged and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. So if he kind of tricks her, if he deceives her, if he brings her into intimacy, but is not committed to her, then they need to get married with the same. So Jeremiah said, you have deceived me or tricked me into a sort of intimacy and you are stronger than I. What is Jeremiah saying? Okay, I want you to think about this. Jeremiah is saying, God, you have forced me in using a sexual analogy, and you are stronger than I am. God, I feel like I'm being raped by you. Now, I don't know if you could be more authentic with God than that. Like, When you first read the weight of that, like it almost feels like dirty to say. You probably almost feel dirty, like what in the world, right? But Jeremiah, that's what he's doing. He's saying, God, this is how I feel before you. You have seduced me like a man with a woman and you are stronger than I am. There is nothing I can do. Like you, you forced me into this, okay? Why? Because Jeremiah is tired, he's hurting, he's been doing ministry for 33 years and seeing nothing. Jeremiah is tired and he's telling the Lord, now can you be more authentic with God than that? I don't think so. Maybe, I don't know, right? As a quick side note, by the way, real quick, there's a big difference between being real and being vulgar, okay? You tracking with that? There's a big difference. You don't stick your middle finger up with God and call it being real, Okay, God is holy, God is a king, God deserves to be bowed down to as a king in that way. And so we don't stick our middle finger up and say, God, I'm just being real with you, right? 
But there is a way to feel like that and to come to God broken and in need. And that's what Jeremiah is doing, right? Jeremiah says, God, I've been at this for 33 years and I keep asking you to move and I keep asking you to do things. And I feel like I'm being raped, God. Like, I feel like, what, what, what's going on here? Like, I feel like I, I need you. I, I need you to show yourself. And Jeremiah is being authentic before the Lord. Does the Lord then rebuke Jeremiah or like destroy him at that moment? No. If you keep reading Jeremiah 20, God begins to reveal himself to Jeremiah. It's as if God is pleased, right? David does the same thing in the Psalms. He cries out to the Lord like this. We have to learn to be authentic with God. God knows what's going on with you anyway. Why don't you just come into his presence with it? Do you know how hard it is to try to hide? Like, isn't it harder to try to hide than to just be who you truly are? Like, isn't it harder to wear a mask every single day when you come to the Lord or every single day before people? It's a lot harder than just being real. God already knows what's going on in your heart. You don't have to hide it before him. You can be honest before God and say, God, I am frustrated. I need you. I'm confused. I feel lonely. I feel broken. I feel dirty, whatever it may be. You can be real before God. Okay, step three. Last one is that we have to learn to be real with each other, okay? Go to James chapter five, verse 16. James chapter five, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, being authentic with others actually requires that you have godly relationships, right? Which is why we mentioned relationships first last week. If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you, go on the podcast, listen to the relationships piece, but you don't just want to expose who you are to everybody in the whole entire world, right? Like, like Proverbs says, important to have a good name. Like that's not what we're talking about here, but grabbing aside godly men, godly women who you trust and being real, being authentic with them is important. In other words, confessing your sin to your friends, okay? Now you guys are my friends, right? Okay. Can I confess something to you? Every time I like confess, you guys like perk up and like the sermon gets interesting again, right? But I'm just gonna be honest, okay? This happened to me just this past Tuesday. I already gave one example of me and Micaiah, okay? Another example, Tuesday, I'm working on the sermon on authenticity, okay? I am thinking about authenticity. And a guy comes and he sits down next to me when I'm at Starbucks and I don't really think much of it. And then he opens up his Bible and I have never seen a Bible with more writing in it than that Bible. In fact, he had like sheets of paper like interwoven like in between the Bible, which had a ton of notes on it himself, right? And so all, I mean, his whole Bible was like flooded with notes. And I don't know what he was doing. It looked like he was preparing for something as well, okay? Well, I didn't have my Bible out because I was on using the Bible online, right? And so I reached in my backpack and pulled my Bible out. I did not turn it to Numbers chapter 17 where I have like one thing underlined, okay? I turned it to the page where I also have a ton of writing on that page. And I just kind of set it there and started looking at it and mm, mm, God is good. God is really good, right? And I started as I'm working on the sermon on authenticity, right? Now, why did I do that? I already confessed to you what I struggle with. I struggle with being perceived as a godly man. So when this man came who, at least the perception was that he was a really godly man, like I needed to show, hey, I'm godly too, right? Like, now what could he have done for me? 
Like, could he have looked and been like, wow, you're really godly. Good job, son. <laughs> right? Like, that's the most that I could have gotten out of that. But for whatever reason, my heart longed for that, and I was being inauthentic, right? Scripture calls us, though, no, be true to who you really are. Be real, right? Like, there's, there's nothing to hide, okay? So confess your sins, which I just did. And then Scripture says, pray for one another, and you'll be healed. James 5.16 says, I'm not just confessing that to be funny. I need you to be praying for me that I would not allow my desire to be godly to eclipse my actual godliness. Because where does godliness come from? Christ. Aren't I already in Christ? If I believe in the gospel, hasn't he already declared me as holy and blameless according to Ephesians 1? But I forget the gospel and I forget the truths of scripture. And so I try to, try to do it myself, right? But scripture says, no, be honest with one another, pray for one another, and you'll be healed. So pray for me. Because that trips me up often, right? You need to learn to be honest with others too. You need to learn to go confess your sins to others too. You need to learn to allow them to begin to show you who you truly are. See, here's the crazy thing about Genesis chapter 3. At the end of that story, as Adam and Eve are wearing fig leaves, trying to cover themselves up, which just go look at what a fig leaf looks like, and you'll learn you never want to put that over your private parts, okay? It's pokey, and it's not comfortable. So they tried to cover themselves up. A great picture of what we try to do, we don't cover ourselves up well. We cover ourselves up with pokey, pricky things, right? Yet God comes, sacrifices an animal, showing that sacrifice must be made, then he covers them with the skins of an animal, it says. He covers them with his righteousness is what that's a picture of. And we see that being true from Genesis chapter three, all the way till Jesus died on the cross. And that's what we keep looking back to is that Jesus died for us so that we can be clothed again so that we can be who we truly are unashamed. Because if you have believed in Christ, you have been adopted as a son. Just like Adam and Eve were sons and daughters of God because they were created by him, if you have professed faith in Christ, you too are a son. You too are a daughter. You can feel unashamed about who you are, just like in Genesis 2, because Christ is our righteousness. Christ is the one who clothes us. Christ is who God sees when he looks at us if we believe in him. And so we have to learn to be authentic, to remind each other of that truth, to just be honest with each other. Be honest with each other. Don't feel like you have to come and, and have it all together. You can be wrestling with God. Wrestle with God. It's okay. You may have come in here barely even believing. There's barely even a glimpse. Tell that to people. Let us walk with you. Let us pray with you. Let us try to encourage you to remind you of gospel truth. And be real before God as well. And remember, Perfection, we talked about early on, okay? This idea we're trying to be a perfect people. When you come broken before God, in irony, you do become perfect. Because we who are broken people, Jesus came as the only perfect man and died for us. He became broken for us so that we who are broken may be perfect in him. The gospel allows us to be authentic people. Friends, church, family, let's be real. Let's be a people who are real with one another and who try to encourage each other to chase Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you for a place where we don't have to hide.
God, I, I know, I know what the temptation is, God. It's my temptation too, to hear this and go, yeah, that, 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 that sounds good, but, but I, I just don't know. And then to hide who we truly are. God, would you help that not to be the case? Would you help us to be real before one another? Would you help us to celebrate when things are good? That's authentic too. God, not to be ashamed of worship or of raising our hands or of singing out or of being excited about the Lord. God, let us be true, even in the positive sense, but, but it usually takes its form in the negative sense, God, and we try to hide. And God, let us not do that. God, let us be a people who is honest with one another, who is open with one another, who doesn't live a plastic life, but who lives a real life. God, in you is freedom. We are a new creation. The old us is gone anyway. What are we trying to show? God, let us show off you. Remind us of the beauty of the gospel. I praise things in your precious name. Amen.